want you to know that I, I value you for coming out on a Wednesday night. You know, Sundays are a little easier, you know, those of us that like to sleep in a little bit. We don't have service super early. Um, but, you know, Wednesday night, you got you just got off work. You've been at home all day with the kids. you got school tomorrow. But there's just something about uh, taking that time to get in the Word. I've told you all before, I don't know how I'd make it without something in the middle of the week. <laughs> i got to have something. I, I couldn't make it Sunday to Sunday. And um, so uh, it's good to see you all here, and it's good to get in the Word together. I told you last week that uh, this month we're going to kind of be focusing on this separation deal, this sanctification, sanctifying ourselves. What does that mean? Why do we need to be sanctified? You know, these are some biblical terms, religious terms that some these falls in line with some of those. Maybe we don't completely understand. Um, so, and, and like I told you last week, I, I endeavor every time that I minister, every time we bring the word, that it becomes relevant for you. It is, you can wake up tomorrow morning, you're clocking into work, and you're saying, all right, I'm going to put that into practice. I'm going to find ways to use that. I, I don't want people to walk out of here and go, wow, that was good, but I don't really have any idea what they were talking about. Um, I want people to know. I want people to find ways to apply it, and, um, you know, it hit home with you. And although the Bible is the most relevant thing on the face of the planet, uh, it'll meet you no matter what your career is, doesn't matter if you're a student, doesn't matter if you're about to retire, doesn't matter if uh, you're married, single, uh, a child, it doesn't matter. This is the most relevant thing on the face of the planet. But uh, I believe that there, you know, if we don't communicate it right, um, you know, we have a responsibility to, to convey that message properly. And if we don't, um, you know, I'm afraid that a lot of us are making the Bible irrelevant. And um, I don't want to see that happen. And um, so... When we take these words, sanctification and, and separation, when we're talking about this, I want us to be able to walk out knowing uh, that's what I needed, that fed me, and I can use that in my life. So uh, last week we started talking about separation, sanctification, and um, we I, I kind of told you that I, I felt kind of for this month that's kind of where we're going to stay in the vein on our Wednesday nights. Um, uh, of separating ourselves, setting ourselves apart. Remember that word sanctification simply means set apart for a good use or for a special use. Uh, that's kind of like, you know, those that set of clothes that you have that you only wear when you uh, are going somewhere nice or you're going to a special event. It's kind of like those dishes for you moms that have those special dishes. You ain't breaking them out for, you know, lunch with eight kids. You're Saving that for, you know, when relatives are coming over, grandma and grandpa, we haven't seen them in five years, and we're going to break out the good stuff. we got special people coming over, special guests, that type of thing. That's what this word sanctification is talking about. And so we see that God has set us apart for a specific work, a specific use. He has chosen you. He has picked you out. I want to look at this verse um, starting out with First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you have an iPhone, iPad, or I, I think even you know most smartphones have the ability to download the Version Bible app, and you can follow along in there. Blackberries and Android devices, I'm sure, have it as well. Um, you can follow along with our notes and the verses um, as well. Obviously, we have the TVs up for you. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation... A royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, his own special people, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says that you are. First off, I want to show that this is uh, in the now, are. Remember, we just talked about the Bible being relevant. You can't get more relevant than you are, you is, uh, today. If you read it yesterday, you were today. If you're reading it today, it's today. If you read it tomorrow, you're still there. You are a chosen generation, royal priesthood. When does this happen? This happens when you become saved, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. You are now a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. I want to define a few terms. I love to define terms. I love to find out what they mean. And the first word here, chosen, it kind of sounds like uh, what we said sanctification is. The word chosen means picked out of a larger group for a special service. Sounds exactly like sanctification. Picked out from a larger group. So there was a large mass and you were handpicked out of that for a special use, for a special purpose. On top of that, it also means the best of its kind. The best of its kind. So you are a generation that's been picked out for a special service, you are the best of its kind. He goes on to say a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has always, from the beginning of time, been trying to establish a nation of people. What is a nation? A nation of people is a group of people with the same nature in habits. A group of people with the same nature in habits. If you say you have a nation of people... Nation, same first three letters as in nature, that means you carry the same nature, the same likeness among yourselves. Uh, in America, we have the nation of America, but within this nation, uh, they call us the melting pot because we have many other nations that are residing within America. And that's why you can go to New York or San Francisco and you can find Chinatown. What is that? It's a nation of people, the same nature and the same habits. They eat the same way. They talk the same way. They, they have the same likeness about themselves. Well, we're a nation. Genesis 1.26 says that God, when he created us, mankind, he created us in his nature, in his likeness. So if we're the nation of God, then we are a nation that carries his nature. We are a people that should have his habits. We are a people that should have his nature, his likeness, and his characteristics. That's how Adam was created. We know that when sin came into the earth, because of Adam and sin's failure to obey what the king said, that that nature changed. And Paul, he wrote many times throughout book, uh, throughout Romans, throughout Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, when he was writing his letters, he was always talking about the old nature and the new nature. You have a nature, you have habits, you have a, a way of thinking, a way of living that is, uh, that is aligned with the sinful nature of man. But then he said this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, But you have become a new creature, and with a new creature comes a new nature. So we have a new nature that has taken place 
on the inside. Here's the dilemma we are all facing in our lives as believers. Getting what's on the inside to work on the outside. That's the key. That's the key. We spent a lot of time talking about this when we were going through the Holy Spirit. And some things that we see here, um, are you, you, we'll kind of go back to that for those of you that remember that series. Uh, go over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We were just in 1 Peter 2. Go back one page. Uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts. There it is, former previous, a different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different nature, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now watch this in verse 16, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Tonight, I want to talk to you about holiness. The title of my message is Follow Me. Follow Me. We know those are two words that Jesus said quite often. He said it to the 12 disciples that did follow him, but he spoke with a few other people that wanted to follow him. And we're going to look at what happened, why they didn't follow him. But I want to talk about holiness because here is the purpose for separation. Here we go. The whole reason why we're setting ourselves apart the whole reason why you're set apart for a special use, the whole reason why you have uh, been called to be sanctified and separated by God is to be holy. To be holy. Now, here's where I want to go because here is the problem that takes place. In fact, let me go to one more verse before I talk about the problem of holiness. Holiness just simply means to be pure or to be clean. That's what holy means. Pure or clean. Uh, one uh, version also translates it perfect. You see, now that's where we start thinking, okay, it's telling me to be holy. It's telling me to be pure, clean, perfect. How? <laughs> How in the world? I mean, I just screwed up on the way here. I, I just, I, I messed it up with my, with my spouse earlier this morning. Man, I mean, last night I blew it. And we're thinking... I'm supposed to be holy. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 15. This has been kind of our key text for this series on separation. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, or basically Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people, that nation. You want to be God's nation. Verse 17, therefore, after he just said, what does this have to do with this? What does light have with darkness, Christ with Satan? Unbelievers with believers. Therefore, 
Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I want to stop right there real quick. When these books were written by the apostles, or by anybody, Genesis all the way to Revelation, they weren't written in chapter and verse. They didn't sit there and say, all right, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, he didn't do that. They're just writing. In fact, this uh, specific book, Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and it was a letter. It's really all it was. We break it down to chapter and verse for, so we can find things. Could you imagine if the Bible wasn't in chapter and verse? In fact, I think I had a Bible like that once, and that was ridiculous. They, they wrote it kind of like a letter. Forget finding anything. It's great, you know, if you just want to read it casually, but if you're looking something up, do not pick that Bible. I, I couldn't find my way around that thing at all. I need numbers. I need names of books. And, you know, I, I like the little headings that say, you know, holiness or whatever. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but when they wrote these things, it wasn't written in chapter and verse. So let's go into chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says that we need to be cleansed, not only in our flesh where we think we're dirty, but also in the spirit. Also in the spirit. When do we get cleansed in the spirit? In the spirit? Salvation, immediately. We know that's an immediate thing that took place. I like to put it this way, that salvation is an event. You can mark it on the calendar. Uh, if you were like me, I wrote it in the front of my Bible. Uh, I had the date on there. I had it highlighted in the circle. This is when I got saved. You can remember the moment. You may remember the pastor or the person that prayed with you. Remember the church or the exact place you were at. You remember the event of, sa- of salvation. Growing up, that's a process. You can't mark that in a day. You can't say, on this day I grew up spiritually. I mean, you can't do that as a, as an, uh, in the natural. I remember the day that I grew into being an adult. It doesn't work that way. It's a process that takes place. Okay? But salvation itself, that's an event. The spirit is cleansed immediately. The flesh is what we're trying to clean up. The flesh is what we're trying to get in alignment. That's where this holiness deal is taking place. Okay? So, here's the thing that I want to point out, and we pointed this out last week, that when we go back up to verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is, this is what we are not saying separation is. I'm not telling you to call up all your unbelieving friends and say, I'm never talking to you. You are an unbeliever, and I'm a believer. Unless you become a believer, we ain't got nothing in common. I can't hang out with you. I can't talk to you. I ain't telling you to go unlike or unfriend everybody on Facebook or, you know, whatever you do on there, uh, everyone that doesn't know Jesus. Uh, I'm not telling you to give them the cold shoulder and, and go out of your way to be really mean to them. That's not what we're saying. That's not what this verse is saying. Last week it pointed out that the separation is in the mind. It's in the mind. It's 
you get cleaned up here. So even though you're in the midst of unbelievers, you're still able to be separated. See, Jesus called us light in darkness. He called us salt in the earth. He said, what, what good is salt if it's not put in what you're trying to flavor up? But then he also said, what good is salt if it loses its flavor and just becomes everything that it's around? So this is the dilemma that we have. I'm around unbelievers, um, I, you know, and, and I even tend to act like an unbeliever sometimes. I do things that aren't right. How in the world can I be holy? How in the world? What is this holiness thing all about? And I want to break this down because here is where... I feel most believers, and man, I was there. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, um, you know, I, I grew up in church. I was raised in church. Uh, but there was always this, this struggle of you're just not holy enough, <laughs> just not good enough. And you messed up sometime between Monday through Friday, probably many times, and then you show up on Sunday and you just feel like you're having to erase everything that just took place in the last few days. So what is this holiness deal all about? Because here's where I feel most believers are at. Holiness, that's a nice goal, but it's unrealistic. That's where I feel a lot of people are at. And I was there. I was like, okay, God says, be holy as I am holy. Sure. That's never going to happen. How? How can I literally be holy? Well, I want to define that today. I, I, I think today, and I'll be honest with you, I was studying this out today, and I, I had pages and pages, and I had to draw a line, and I had to say, this is as far as I'm going tonight. Not even necessarily because of time. I have mapped out where I'm going tonight, and that's it. And it's going to leave you hanging. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to leave you hanging. But I have to, because I have to be very conscientious as a pastor that I don't try to stuff everything in you. My son, uh, when, when uh, I try to stuff him, he throws it all up. He's 20 months. And I, I don't need to be cleaning up a lot of vomit, and then you go home with nothing. Now you have no nutrition, nothing to live off of. When you go back out of here, you get in the world, and you're like, man, he stuffed me so much, I, I don't even feel like I got anything. That would be terrible if I gave you so much that so you feel like you got nothing. Okay? So we're going to pace ourselves, and I know exactly where we're going to cut it off. And um, so I've got it lined out, and I had to do it that way. So we see here in verse 1 of chapter 7, holiness is the end result. It is the goal that we're all obtaining for. It is what we're going at. Why are we, not, why are we separate from unbelievers? Why are we not, uh, uh, and, and by the way, when it says do not, uh, what, what do unbelievers have with believers? Do not be unequally yoked. That's talking about some strong relationships that could potentially get you under their yoke. I do believe very strongly that it's referring to the marriage relationship. That's the scary thing. I would advise people, now if you're already in it, you know, God, there's God's grace for that, but I mean, I advise anybody before getting married, you both need to be on the same page with Jesus. <laughs> we need to make sure both are in church and both are saved and both are living for God because what happens is, is their yoke can become yours. 
business guys. We're going into uh, business opportunities. Can there be a yoke there? I believe so. A tight relationship where two people are making decisions and have the, really the same amount of decision making and one's a believer and one's not. I remember someone used an example with me. of If, if I'm standing up on the chair and I'm saved and I got someone standing on the floor who's an unbeliever, who's going to have the easier time pulling them to where they're at? I'm going to pull, the unbeliever is going to have an easier time pulling you down than the believer is going to pull the unbeliever up. Even though you may be higher in one sense, it's going to be tougher. So I do believe that in tight relationships. But having communication and conversation and, and dwelling, I mean, come on, is everybody you work with saved? Okay. Everybody in Target, you, you asked before you walked in, hey, you know Jesus? You know Jesus? Okay, I can go in there. No. The world is the world. We're in there to be light. We're in there to be salt. Okay? But holiness is the end result. Notice he says being cleansed in the flesh and the spirit. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. I want to break down this holiness deal because I don't want anybody after tonight walking out of here Seeing holiness as an unrealistic goal. There's no way I can get that. We've got to see that as attainable. We've got to see that as I can be holy, as God is holy. And I'm going to show you what that means. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I want to stop right there. This is awesome. Twelve guys get to hang out with Jesus. He goes around, and we know in, in, in other uh, books, in, in Luke, um, in Mark, it actually lines out that he went up to Matthew, the tax collector, and said, come follow me. He went up to Peter and John, brothers that were fishing, and he said, lay down your nets and follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. We, we know this. We see that. So he gave two words follow me, and these 12 guys get up and leave what they're doing and go. Sounds awesome, okay? I don't know that we really grab the whole of what that meant to be a disciple of Jesus. But later on in this passage of Matthew chapter 10, the Word of God lines it out. Go down to verse 34. Verse 34. One of the most contradictory verses in the Bible. Jesus is speaking. If you have a red-letter Bible, it is in red. And he says this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. What? Right there. Hold up. Wait a minute. Do not think you came to bring peace? The Prince of Peace didn't even come to bring peace? What are you talking about? What in the world? He says, I did not come to bring peace. But a sword. Now, this thing is getting real, real quick. Jesus is showing up and he's saying, don't even think I came to bring peace. But I came to bring a sword. Verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. I know I'm tripping just like y'all are right now because I got a son and I don't want him set against me. 
Those of you that may have daughters, you don't want your daughter set against you. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, that sounds a little more real. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. Verse 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. What is he saying? 37. He who loves father or mother, and here's the stipulation, more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a very strong passage. Now, 33 verses earlier, we were all excited. Twelve men hooking up with Jesus. And then he says, well, hold on, let me tell you what this is all about. You want to follow me, let me tell you, I didn't come to bring peace. Now let me tell you what he's saying. And he's got a couple more passages that show this. He is not here trying to tear up your family tree. He's not here to chop that down. He's not here to attack the family tell you that right now i know people right now that have great tight-knit families and they're all serving god okay no problem the question that he's trying to process here for people is if you want to follow me nothing else comes first he's using a family setting because that's the closest thing that we know here in the earth to us. I mean, a mother, father, daughter, son, our relationships with our family, those ought to be the tightest brothers and sisters. They aren't always. But he's using a family setting because he's saying not even that should come before my call, before following me. In essence, here's what he's saying. To follow Jesus is to separate from the world. Nothing comes between. Nothing comes between there. It's you and Jesus. And if you're not on his tail, if you're not right there up against him with nothing else in the middle, he says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to follow me. Go on over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And I'm going, to find, I'm going to define what these worldly ties look like because they're different for everybody. He uses a family setting because we can all fall into that. I mean, if he used money, well, you know, some of us that might be a big deal and some of us that might not. If he used friends, that some of us that might be a big deal, some of us not. If he used our career or our job, some of us, you know, we might have a hard time putting Jesus before our career, but, you know, some of us, that's all right, I can put Jesus. But he used the family because that hits that home for everybody. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. I love how it just says, Then he said to another. It, basically, he's saying, These people are so insignificant in my kingdom, and I'm not even going to mention their names. 
The disciples, we know their names because when he said, follow me, here it just says, then he said to another, follow me. And this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, that's a good excuse. <laughs> Again, Jesus is hitting home here. I mean, if, you, if, if I said, it, it, you know, if there was someone that said, hey, I want to move to Valdosta, I want to help you, you know, plant that church there in Valdosta. I said, well, come on, let's do it. Well, first, you know, my, my dad just died, so let me go take care of him. Okay, yeah, that's no problem, man. I mean, could you imagine if I said, let the dead bury their dead? Come on. <laughs> We'd have a rough time with that today, okay? But he said, Lord let, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. These earthly ties, these worldly ties, I sum them up in one word, distractions. Distractions. Here's the focus. Here's what I should be giving my attention to. But yet we got distractions. And so separating, set apart, is just getting rid of the distractions. Here is why the distractions are so important. If I felt confident enough to do this uh, and, and actually show you, I would, but I don't. But say I brought Brent up here. Brent's been in the Marines. He's an officer. He's given orders. He's given orders. <laughs> He's given orders. Now, what if you were trying to give one of your soldiers orders, but they were surrounded by ten guys all yelling in his face at the same time. You think you'd have a little trouble following your orders? <laughs> Say, let's do it this way. Say I was just trying to talk to Chuck right here, just like this. I'm just having a conversation. Brent, I'm sure you'd get him in line real quick. But say I'm just trying to have a conversation with Chuck, and everybody else in this room is shouting in his face. You think me and you were going to get a whole lot done? What's the distraction? It's the voices. Whether you like it or not, those things have a voice in your life. And those voices are giving commands. And whether you like it or not, you're obeying somebody's command in life. What is holiness? Let me define holiness for you. I can sum up holiness... In one other word, in fact, in my notes, I wrote, holiness equals obedience. If you obey God every time he speaks and every time he tells you to do something, you have a hard time convincing me you ain't holy. Now, God says, be holy as I am holy. You know how God is holy? Because the Bible says that not one of his words returns void. The Bible says that he keeps his word. He can't go back on his word. Even God has to obey his own word. 
So be holy as God is holy. Just as God can't go back on his word or do something other than his word. Let me ask you this. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, before they sinned, were they holy? Okay. When would you say they weren't holy any longer? When they listened to somebody else and disobeyed the king. I'm going to tell you what separation is all about. It's all about communication. It's all about communication. Separating yourself in life. Getting set apart. If you look throughout the Old Testament, when people were fasting, you know why they were fasting? Because they wanted to hear God. Every time. Every time. Why am I refraining from eating? Because I want to get closer to hearing God. It's not, it's not God's diet plan. It's not his 21-day, you know, lose you know, 21 pounds in 21-day system. It's finding something in the natural to separate yourself from so you can hear him. Separation, setting yourself apart, is all about hearing God's voice, hearing his commands clearly, then being able to obey them. Jesus' disciples, the twelve, that were handpicked in verse 1, he gave them a command in that verse. If you go back, it says that he commanded them to go to preach the kingdom of God, to lay hands on the sick, see him recover, cast out demons. He gave them the authority and the power. What's the, what good is the authority and the power if you can't hear God's word on when to use it? What good is the ability that you can lay hands on the sick and see them recover if you can't hear God when you're walking down the aisle at Publix and he says, go, go pray for that lady. She's sniffling and seems like she's got a cold. Just go, just go ask her if you can pray for her. What good is it? You've got the potential within you to eradicate the sickness that's 10 feet from you. Yeah, you can't hear the Holy Spirit. So what's separating yourself about? What is this setting apart? It's so you can hear clearly God's communication, which are commands. So then you can go. That's what he was looking for all these other guys. He's looking. You, are you distracted? Is there something that's telling you to do something other than what I'm asking you to do? And that's what holiness is. Because I can tell you right now, God wouldn't put something in his word and ask you to do it or ask you to be it if he didn't think you could. He didn't throw that in there, be holy as I am holy, sight, or like we do in our text messages, J.K., no, he's the real deal, man. When he says, be holy as I'm holy, he means, be holy as I'm holy. Now we think, again, we have that thought, that's a, that's a goal. I want to be holy. Lord, make me holy. Lord, And you won't find in the Bible where he make you holy. He makes your spirit holy, but for you to get it out, that's on you, man. We sing those songs, you know, Lord, make me holy, and he ain't making you holy. He said, you got it all. You got all the power. We're going to talk about the power next week. Grace is the power to be holy. It's only by grace. 
But when he says, be holy as I'm holy, and we're thinking, we can't be holy. Well, let me ask you this, and I want you to answer seriously. And answer in your head, this is rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand or shout it out. I'm not going to give a candy out to the first person that yells it out real loud. I am, I want to ask you this question. Could you obey God every time he gives you a command? Is that a possibility? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because if you could do that, then you can be holy. If every time he says, every time he speaks, that's holiness. That's holiness is hearing God's commands and obeying it. Look at this in Luke chapter 18. And this is where we'll close. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. This has been taken out of context, but I'm going to put it right back in context. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Verse 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Jesus was not identifying a money problem. Jesus didn't see this rich guy in all these clothes and think, man, you're going to follow me, you have to be poor and desolate and have nothing. It's not what he's saying. He's not identifying a money problem. He's identifying a distraction problem. He just identified you've got another voice that's talking to you. And that voice is dictating stuff in your life. And um, you're not going to be able to follow me and go bury the dead. You're not going to be able to come follow me and go say bye to your loved ones. You're not going to be able to come follow me and be distracted with an earthly tie. Separate from the earthly tie. Is he saying that you can't have money and follow God? Absolutely not. The question is, is, is the money talking louder than God? Is the money in between you and Jesus? You know, he said uh, in that other passage, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, what's the cross? The cross symbolizes putting something to death. You need to start looking in your life. we got to start looking and finding, what can I put on the cross? What can I kill in my life? What can I shut down? So I can get closer to God, separate from the voices, separate from the things that are speaking opposite of what God's Word says, so I can hear His command. I can tell you, let me give you an example. We'll just go with money since He used money. Maybe you've been watching the news a lot and you've been kind of getting moved by the economic downturn. And you've been, and you know, 
And it's funny how a lot of people, they'll take what's happening on in, what's going on in the world and they'll bring it to their world. And there's, you know, I got money for groceries. I can go get gas. You know, I may not have everything I want, but, you know, I'm, I'm living. But we see, you know, billionaires losing money in the stock market and having to go back and work at P.F. Chang's. Uh, you know, I, I read that story somewhere. And, and just all kinds of crazy stuff happening in <laughs> economics. And you start to take on those cares. And then God says, one day while you're in line, minding your own business, at Publix, Target, Walmart, says, pay for that person's groceries. Lord, you know what the economy is like? Do you even know what's going on? We're in a deficit. I mean, they're making up numbers to come up with how much of it. And he's saying, he's saying, follow me. And then we instantly find out there's a distraction. You know, if I was that person, it would do me good to shut the TV off and not let that voice creep in so I can only be moved by the voice, the only one that matters. I want you to go show that person love. I want you to go love on them. God, nobody loves me. You see what they've been saying about me on Facebook? I mean, they're just talking about me and making up stuff. I mean, it's not even true. And then I'm having to, you know, fight these things back and trying to, and he's saying, follow me. I want you to go show someone else love that since we've got another voice. Instead of getting in the word and finding out how much I love you, we got to find that separation. Holiness, it's just obedience. It's just obedience. Disobedience is what got us in, in the whole mess anyways. Because Eve listened to a voice. Then Adam listened to a voice. And it's always voices. Where if Eve would have said, you're a snake. I don't even know why you're talking in the first place. But I only listen to one voice. Or if Adam would have said, I don't know what voice you've been listening to, but the voice that I listen to, I'm not saying husbands can't hear from their wives at all, but it better be in line with the word. And I tell you, when you stay close to the king, you stay close to his word, it's real easy to see which words line up with his and which ones don't. But that separation, that'll really draw the line. I'm not telling you not hang out with your friends. I'm not telling you to go find a different job with only Christians. Good luck finding it anyways. Can't hardly go to some churches and find that anymore. I'm telling you to be separated in your mind. Be separated in what voices you let in your life. Be separated in what voices you allow to control your life. When someone's listening to a voice and they're cussing you out at work and spitting you out one side up down the other and you respond with, you know what, I love you and Jesus loves you. You're listening to the right voice. You're not listening to their voice. Therefore, you're separated. Therefore, you're set apart for a good use. Therefore, you are light in a dark world, and salt in the earth. And you just flavored that person's life, and they don't even know it. 
So that's where we're going to go. That's where we're at this week. And, you know, last week I kind of threw that out there. You know, if, if that's you, I, I kind of gave it to the church. There's things in my life this month that I'm doing to separate myself because I just want to get closer. And, again, there's a replacement. You know, like I said last week, there's no athlete, you know, that doesn't go work out and doesn't even show up at practices. And then their coach, you know, they show up to the game. I'm ready to go, coach. Where you been all week? Oh, I've been dieting. I've been eating good. Okay, well, you haven't been training. You haven't been conditioning. What are they doing? They're replacing it with something. I've been starving myself, coach. Okay, well, you're no good to me because you're shaking all over the place and you like you need a meal. You've got to replace it. It's not just about not watching TV for an hour. It's about picking up the Bible and reading it for another hour. It's about getting a book and getting into that. It's about spending time with God and communicating with him and saying, Father, I just want to get closer to hearing your voice. And that's, I'm not saying, you know, we're, we're doing a 30-day fast and, you know, nobody eat anything. I'm not, we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. I told you last week, the first time I fasted, I was 16 years old and I fasted Dr. Pepper. I shut out Dr. Pepper. What, it was something my natural body wanted and I said, no, you're not going to have it. Now, I didn't just, you know, read the Bible instead of drink. Okay, when I would be sipping this is Dr. Pepper. I'm going to read a few scriptures. It, it got me closer because the more you get the flesh out of the way, the closer your spirit gets. That's how it works. We're always combating this flesh thing. That, this whole thing inside of you is everything you need to accomplish God's will for your life. Inside of you, it's already there. Why are you here tonight? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you watch preachers on TV? And why do you listen to them on the radio? It's because you're trying to get your mind to figure out what's already down here. You're already trying to get there. And the enemy, he's throwing distractions. Here's a billboard. Here's a, something on the internet. Here's a TV show. Here's a friend. Here's another Facebook status. Here's the news. Throwing in these distractions because the less you hear God's word, the more you'll listen to his, and you're going to move by whichever one you feed on the most. That's what the Bible says. It says you, fle- you feed the flesh, it's, it's, uh, it's death. Feed the flesh, death. Feed the spirit, life and peace. And I don't know about you, but I want life and peace in my life. I want life and peace in my home. I want life and peace in my job. I want to be a light in darkness. I want to flavor some things up. You know, salt also preserves things. It's actually its main use is a preservative. It makes things last longer. You know why the world is still, still here? Because Christians are being salt in the earth. We've got to continue doing that. We've got to continue preserving this world for the last day. And we do that by setting ourselves apart from the world in our minds, hearing God's voice, obeying his commands, and then we'll do everything he's called us to do. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word tonight. I thank you that as a body we're being moved to discover what this separation is all about, what this sanctification. You have already sanctified us in the Spirit. So it would be a, a shame if we don't allow what's already taken place in the Spirit to show itself in the flesh. Father, I thank you that no longer will we think and, and see this holiness is something that's so far off that can't be obtained. And 
you know, I, I know you're asking, to be, asking me to be holy, and I'm, I'm trying to be as holy as I can. Father, we're going to quit trying. We're going to start doing because you've placed the power within us. But it comes as we shut out voices. So, Father, I thank you that we will gather together and we will begin to look at our lives, begin to recognize, realize the things that are having a voice in our lives, the things that are beginning to dictate situations. You know, in this situation, I tend to move this way instead of moving based upon what God would have me do. Well, Father, we're going to change that. I thank you that we're going to start looking in our lives and, and seeing what are those areas I can shut down, set apart, do less of, cut back, and get your word in there, hear your voice on the situation, and obey you. Father, that's, what, that's our heart's cry. That's our longest cry right there is that we'll just simply obey you. Holiness is a byproduct of obedience. If we obey you, holiness will take place. So, Father, I thank you that we'll begin to obey you. We'll begin to hear your voice clearly. Be quick to respond, quick to obey. And, Father, I thank you that through us we'll see your kingdom come because we're set apart. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto you, Father. You are a God and we are your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah.